Hi, thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I speak with patent attorney Bryant Lee. Bryant is the founder of Cognition IP and the author of Software Patents for Startups. We're going to be speaking about patents, and this is a question that comes up with startups a lot. So if you've been thinking about patenting your software application or your technology solution, this conversation is for you. Hope you enjoy it, and please let me know what you think in the comments. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'm excited to uh, talk with Brian. So Brian, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. Um, so today we're talking about patents, and it's a question that comes up quite a bit for me and with the startups that I talk to. So there are all these different types of intellectual property, and a lot of times people get them confused, and they mix up patents and copyrights and trademarks. And so if you could start off by just helping to us understand what a patent is. What is a patent and how, does it, how is it different from maybe a trademark or a copyright? That's a great question. So a patent is to help you pr protect your invention. So it's meant to pr protect inventions, which are technological innovations that are new and non-obvious. So you can think of the patent as protection for your product itself in terms of how it functions and how it operates. And it's to, it was in, created by the, in the, um, in the constitution and also by statute to, to encourage people to invent new things and pr promote progress in science. So um, if you've invented a new invention, then it'll, it'll, you could use that to prevent others from using that invention so that uh, you would have, it's to, it's to encourage people to invent new things. That's the main point. And then they, they last for 20 years. So that means that if you get the patent then for 20 years, you'd be the only one to be able to use that invention that you created. Got it. And, and as opposed to, you know, a copyright, which is protecting the expression of an idea, trademark is really about a brand name and, and understanding, like identifying the source. Uh, you know, the patent is really about like the, you know, the products um, themselves and how they work. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. That's right. So it's about the product itself and what you're, what you're putting onto the market, what you've created. Got it. So one question that, I, that comes up a lot for me is just, you know, should we patent our thing? Um, and I think a lot of companies in, in technology, particularly in emerging tech, they're building new things. They're, you know, their applications are doing things that haven't been done on the web before. And uh, one, one of the questions that comes up is, should I patent this? And so when you are advising clients, like how do you help them think through whether or not they should be filing a patent for their software application project or a piece of hardware that they may have uh, built to um, for their product to work? That's a great question. So that's a question that comes up pretty frequently with startups and with companies. I work with a lot of, um, a lot of early stage companies and the founders themselves will often ask, you know, should I be pursuing a patent? Should I be thinking about that? It really comes down to thinking about the business as a, as a whole and thinking about the strategy for how you're going to be able to create value for your company. So, uh, the problem with some, some, you know, that many companies can face is that once you become successful and your product takes off, then other people can, can uh, copy that and take advantage of the, the new feature you've created. And the patent will help you protect against that so that you don't have a bunch of competitors flooding the market and can actually maintain a price point and a margin that makes sense for your business to grow the business value. Cool. So it's, yeah. It's, on. Sorry, go ahead. It's helpful to think about like um, 
whether this part that whether this new thing you've created is really driving a lot of value for your business. So if it's a it's a if it's something you've new you've created, that's the first thing to think about. Is this something that is different than what else is out there, uh, especially from a technological standpoint? So patents are really about technology, and uh, so it's it's much more about how you implemented something from a technological standpoint. And if you've created something new there, then that's something that's potentially patentable. And then you'd want to think about is this is this component you've created driving business value in the sense that if you're the only one who can do that, is that a big advantage for your product over other competitors? And then in that case, it makes sense to start considering doing a patent application. Got it. And can software code, I mean, can code be patented? Can, can you patent software um, in the same way that like hardware or is it, what's the difference when, when you're thinking about software patents versus hardware? Software is, is very commonly patented. So, uh, about in some studies, they found that around half of patent applications that are filed in the U.S. are on software applications. So it's very, very common. And the top filers for patent applications in the U.S. are, are software companies. So Google and IBM, Samsung are very among the top few in the top 10. So um, when you're doing software, it's, it's important to think about how you're going to patent it. And one of the questions that comes up is, um, you know, should you be patenting the, the code itself or how do you do that? Because Software folks in that field know that if you, a lot of times you can get the same results if you change the code a little bit. There are probably many different ways in the same code to, to obtain the same result. So um, it's important to understand in the patent world, you're not patenting the exact source code you're creating, but you're patenting the way you're doing something. And so from a software perspective, I usually encourage people to think of it in terms of the flow chart of the way their software works. So the block diagram of the parts and how the functionality works is the sort of level at which you'd be looking at for doing a software patent application. And if that is something, those series of steps are something that's new and drives business for you, drives value for your business, then that, that makes sense to look at for a patent. Got it. And so like, what if a company is sort of like the Uber of X and they're sort of taking an idea um, and from sort of one vertical and they're applying it in another in a new way. Um, how does, how do you think about products like that where you're kind of um, taking a new spin on, on, on another product that, that's already out there? That's a great question. So that can be patentable to, to take some technology put into a unique area, but there is a concept in patent law where, uh, well, so first of all, in patent law, there's two major things to keep in mind about getting a patent. One is that your invention has to be new and it also has to be not obvious. So just as like, uh, just the basic background so we can, it's easier for me to explain, but, um, if someone has done the same thing before, then that would be an, uh, that means your invention is not novel, and that means it's not patentable. Hmm. If someone has done something that's different but it's very similar and be considered an obvious variation, it would be obvious for someone in the field to to make the the variation you created. Then that also would prevent patenting. So when you're talking about existing technology and putting it into a new field of use, that doesn't really have a novelty problem because it is a new a new invention. But then there the, the, when you go through the examination process, there would be some, some uh, at least some discussion of the obviousness, whether that would be obvious. Right. So if you go into a new, a new industry, that itself, um, in patent law generally, they, they say that changing the, just changing the field of use of a technology isn't necessarily something that's going to be patentable because of obviousness. However, usually when people do go into a new field of, of, of use, they are quite often actually making some innovations because 
when you change the field of use, there's often something that you need to do, some optimizations you learn by running your business and doing experiments, seeing what customers like and don't like. And you're probably gonna have a slightly different interface, slightly different technology. And those sorts of changes are things that, that are uh, potentially patentable and things that you, you might wanna protect and be the first mover in that area. And that's pretty common to, to obtain a patent on. Got it, that's cool. So um, in your book, you talk a little bit about how you know, there may be multiple patents at play in any particular product. So in the sort of general, you know, software application or, you know, mobile app that I'm looking at, is it true that there are maybe several or, you know, tens of, of different patents that are, you know, contained within like that particular application or, or, or mobile app? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with a lot of software types of products, there's the potential to have many different patents that could cover different aspects. A common example is that people used to say that mobile phones were covered by thousands of patents. A single mobile phone from Apple would be covered by thousands of, of patents on different things like the antenna, the, the screen, the camera, the software, the operating system. With software, it could be the same thing. There have been patents, for example, historically there was the famous Amazon OneClick. Amazon had a patent called OneClick, which was to cover their way of allowing customers to, to buy an item with the OneClick um, this like purchase right now button because prior to that people had always had to add items to a, a virtual shopping cart. Um, so you could think of, you know, Amazon as a website has many different parts to it, but that one part had one patent on it. Similarly, there was also, there's also been patents on the, the date picker aspect of Outlook. So Outlook email, there is a part where you could select a, a date like for your calendar and click a button and then be able to select a date from a from a sub a sub calendar, so that also was covered by a patent. And you could imagine with any kind of software, there's many different components that you could cover with a patent. So it could be things like interface with particular. If you have a unique sort of uh, interface for certain screens, you have certain algorithms you're performing. If you have a uh, AI, different AI systems you're using. If you're using uh, computer vision, you have like networking protocols, all kinds of different things. So there could be dozens or dozens of different patents. That's really interesting. So, I mean, the, those, the two examples that you gave are very interesting to me because with the Amazon one click that feels, um, kind of obvious, but maybe not. Um, and with the date picker, that seems just like it's everywhere. So is that the type of, um, you know, if, if the outlook had that patent, were they able to actually stop people from doing a date picker for 20 years, you know, the life of that patent or, or how, how does that work? Because, cause that, that seems like it's a pretty common feature. And, um, I just, I'm just curious as to like how they were, if they were able to enforce that and, and what that process was like for them. Right. Yeah. So the, the date picker example was actually, it was, so I mentioned Microsoft and outlook, but it was actually owned by another company. Okay. It was Lucent, and then they sued Microsoft because they claimed that Microsoft was using the technology. The data. Got it. And that ended up being a really large case, lots of uh, a very long case, lots of damages involved. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, there were, yeah, it was it was a very valuable patent um, because there was so much potential infringement by people. And this was also many years ago. So even though these technologies now probably seem obvious to us, both the one clicky and also date picker. But this patent was, I believe, from the late 90s. And so okay. therefore, at that time, people didn't realize how big like computers were going to be. Yeah. This 
everyday thing. And so at that time, they did get the patent. That was that ended up being a very valuable patent. They ended up collecting from a large number of people, large number of companies, large companies. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, the, the patent, um, it seems to me that there are kind of two aspects um, that uh, a new company might be thinking about is one is just sort of like their overall product, but arguably, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, they, they could be building features um, that kind of have just independent value themselves that other companies might want to integrate into their platform um, or use with their software and their UI. Um, and, and that might actually be something worth patenting as well, not even for, to necessarily to protect um, you know, the company from you know, competitors in, in, their, in their specific industry or with their specific business model, but just, just because they've stumbled upon um, a, a, a user interface feature that um, just has a lot of value, makes people's lives a lot easier. Is that, is, that a, is that a good way of thinking about it or is that a little, am I a little off there? That's exactly right. That's a great point. Um, when you're getting a patent, it's actually not really on your product itself. It's really on in a, an invention, which is invention is somewhat abstract. It's not tied to a particular product. An invention can be used in many different products in different fields, like a date picker could be used in, in email. It could be used in other things as well. Same thing with the one click that could be used in different types of e-commerce systems. And so uh, when you're thinking about inventions, you're, you sh it's helpful to think about it both in terms of the product, it's your product itself that you're creating and having coverage to make sure you don't have competitors using it. But also when you're, you're writing it or when you're working with a patent lawyer to write it, you'd also want to think about other uses of it. That's a very good way to think of like when you're writing the patent, what, what are other ways that we could apply the same invention? What are the other fields it could be used in? So you're not tied to just a particular, like if you're developing a medical imaging software, you wouldn't necessarily need to tie it to a particular type of type of procedure or, or surgery. Like you might think there are other types of procedures that this could also apply to. And therefore you would want to think about all of those things and cover all of them. Yeah, makes sense. So um, one, of the, one of the questions that comes up for me and when I think about patents, there's sort of the process of filing and, and, and registering a patent which has a cost to it. But then on the other side of that, even if you're able to get one, would you say that um, the, the cost of enforcing that patent could also be a factor when thinking about whether or not you should you know, file a patent or just you know, rely on some other area of law like a trade secret um, as you're thinking about um, you know, whether or not you should register your patent. How much do you, how much do you factor in sort of the, the cost and, and, and time and energy for, for enforcing that? Is, is it difficult to, to enforce a patent? Is it expensive? So well, I think for startups, there are many ways that patents can add value. And I think enforcement is actually something that I think is not necessarily going to be the main way that it drives value for the startup. So I think that you can also think of it as something that's there as an asset for you. And it can be used in many ways, one being to help with, with fundraising, like the potential, the potential to have a monopoly itself. Not necessarily now when you don't have as many resources as a startup, but like, you know, when you become a large company or are acquired, that whoever, when you, you know, when you become a large company or, or whoever's acquiring you will have the ability to have this patent at that time that adds value to their business. The other things it's useful for is when you potentially have a partnership with another company to make sure that you own the IP and that they don't try to patent it themselves. Um, and then also making sure that you can talk freely with investors and that sort of thing. The, um, 
uh, you know, most startups don't end up usually enforcing the patent while they're in the startup stage. It's usually there as business business value for for the startup later. Um, now, if you were to enforce the patent, uh, it's uh, it's yeah, it can be an ex uh, it's a it's a distraction. I think that's the one thing that it's just distracting from the core of your business because it takes a lot of time. It's also expensive. When you you know, if you do have a really good patent, though, it's not. I wouldn't say that it's it's impossible to enforce because if you have a patent that is actually infringed by a large company, then you can find assistance in terms of enforcing it on a contingency basis. By contingency, I mean that whoever is helping you to enforce it, both the lawyer and also the other entities involved, can take a portion of what you collect at the end of the day. And so usually it's both the lawyer and also a litigation finance company. And the litigation finance company, if they think that it's a good case, can put up front all the money you're going to need. But you would just, there would need to be assurance from them that it is something like the patent is strong. You have a good case, there's the company is going to be able to pay. Um, but if you have one of those situations, then you can go down that route. Got it. And are there statutory penalties for, for uh, infringing on a patent or is it sort of uh, based on the business value and, and the amount of you know, actual money? How, how does that work? The, so the, the collection and what we call damages in patent cases is what's, so in the statute, it's, it's defined as reasonable royalty. So whoever owns a patent, if they succeed in proving that the other party is infringing that patent, is always entitled to a reasonable royalty at, at the very least. And so reasonable royalties can vary in range and it depends on how valuable the technology is, how prominent it is in the, tech, in the, in the uh, product. So for example, if you have a computer chip uh, and your product covers the, your patent covers the entire computer chip, that could be a very high royalty. But if your patent covers one tiny part, like you cover just the date picker of a much larger product, then that's gonna probably be a lower royalty. It also depends on what kind of uh, all kinds of other factors about how how important this invention is, but it, it, the royalty often ranges from say one percent to twenty five percent. Okay, cool, interesting. So if I'm a startup and I'm building new things and building and building, should I be worried at all about infringing on someone else's patent? How does that work? I mean, how are there things that I can do to sort of you know protect myself from that or in the early stages when you're just making something, it seems like it could be difficult to know whether or not you're stepping on someone's toes with a patent. So how do you help companies think about, about that issue? So that's definitely a, a, a great question and things, things for startups to look into, particularly for startups that are in uh, hard tech or life sciences or hardware. Because in those sorts of areas, the patent, the patent becomes very important because that's the patent is more important in those areas because generally in those areas, you have one patent that covers the entire product. So with software, like we talked about, there can be a hundred or thousand or 10,000 patents that cover product. But with life sciences, it's a great example. You have one drug, the drug is covered by one patent. Therefore, whoever owns that one patent can stop anybody else from making that drug. So therefore, those cases, it's very important for the startup to, to know ahead of time that they're not creating something that's covered by somebody else's patent mainly because if you spend a, if you go down this route and then you invest all this money you could end up finding out that you just can't you can't create the business because someone else can block you and that doesn't make any sense for the investors it also just for the time of the, the founders so in those cases generally you'd want to do an analysis to make sure you're not infringing and that's 
what's called a freedom to operate analysis. The freedom to operate analysis, you'd work, generally work with a, a law firm or a patent lawyer, and this the law firm or patent lawyer uh, would do a search and find, uh, do a search across all the patents in the markets like US and other countries that you're operating in and find out if there are other patents that cover what you're building. And then they can give you a report that's an opinion letter that says uh, whether you'd be infringing any patents or if you're, you have what's called freedom to operate, freedom to operate meaning that there's nothing blocking you from operating your business. In terms of other areas, I would say hardware also can make sense if you're building some unique hardware that could be covered by a patent. In terms of software, I would say it's, it's usually infrequent that people would pursue a freedom to operate because as we mentioned, there are so many patents that could cover a product that right. it, you, you could very, it'd be hard to find all of them and also you, you, you might end up be infringing them, but it also doesn't matter as much because when we were talking about damages, if, you're, if these features are so small, then they're not, they're sort of like just little mosquito bites. They're not gonna kill your entire company. Right. And also when early stage, uh, it's usually unlikely someone's gonna sue you at that stage because the person suing you for infringement would need to know that you're gonna be able to pay to make it worthwhile for them. And so usually they would wait until you're a little bit, you're a few funding rounds in, or maybe you're about to IPO, or you've just gotten acquired and then the lawsuits come. But in the, in the early days, if you're doing software, it's usually not, not as important to do an FTO. And I think you can, in the early days, you can go without it. Right, and then I think like your book mentions that um, you can, in the early days, as you're getting to that point, you can begin to try to collect your own patents, which can, which can serve as like a defense against any, any patent infringement lawsuits. Because if you have some, some coverage over, you know, uh, the competitor's, you know, product, um, that can sort of put you on more equal ground and you can sort of enter into a cross-license agreement. Exactly. And that's very common with large companies. So Google has tens of thousands of patents. So is Microsoft. They're both infringing each other's patents all the time, but, but they, have, they each have such a large war chest that it doesn't make sense for them to sue each other. Right. So as a startup, the same situation applies. If you have a bunch of patents, even if your product infringes other, other companies' patents that are competitors, which it, it might because there's so many, if you have your own patents, you can actually uh, decrease that risk of a lawsuit just because the other companies will be infringing your patents too. Yeah. So some of the folks that will be listening to this are in the blockchain space and the blockchain industry is really industry. It's interesting. It's really new. There's a lot going on. I think a pattern that I've just noticed sort of in the news and I'm not as in the know on patent on the patent law side of this, but I keep reading these headlines about IBM filing all these patent registrations and all these like big companies, big companies that are filing all these blockchain um, patents. What's been your, uh, you know, experience in the blockchain space of, of, of the patents that are being filed or companies that might be in the space, um, how they should think about um, patenting, you know, their, their new blockchain project? Blockchain's definitely been very hot with patenting. If you, in terms of the number of patents filed in the space, it's been increasing very rapidly uh, since it's the blockchain space has started taking off. Um, I think sort of like the early days of the internet, you can apply blockchain to almost anything. And so it's, it's very, there's a lot of ripe areas. So anytime you see sort of a sea change in technology, I think there's a lot of patenting going on, just like there's a lot of new companies being created. The, a lot of the foundational blockchain patents have, in terms of just regular blockchain, that's already, I mean, it's already been out there since 2011 or so. 
but any sort of newer inventions that are based on that, there's a lot of activity there. It's, there's still a lot of innovation going on in terms of what kind of applications there's gonna be refining the types of implementation technology that are being used. And there's still a lot of really good technology that could be uh, founded in that area. Cool. Um, that's, that's really interesting. And is it possible that, you know, Microsoft or, you know, IBM is going to come after like some of these small businesses you think, or these new like projects, like, you know, what's the end, what's the end game? Because in some senses, when I look at companies like that, they're not blockchain companies. They're just sort of gathering these patents. And I just sort of wonder why, if they, if they're maybe planning on, I don't know, we don't know. I mean, maybe they're trying to come out with their own blockchain at, at, at a certain point in time. But I just, when I look at it, I don't, I don't know how to interpret, you know, these large companies, um, sort of what their goal might be there. Yeah. Probably hard to read their minds. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Anytime there's a large change in technology and there's a, there's a new technology that comes to the front in this case, blockchain, that's definitely a situation where a lot of these large companies would have started patenting a lot of things because with patents, one important thing to keep in mind is you don't actually have to have built the technology. Yet. And most of the times whoever's patenting it has not built it yet. It only needs to be an idea. Essentially you can think of it like a schematic of this pro product or invention enough that someone what's someone with skill in the field is what's called enabled to build it. So once something is sort of proven to be a hot area, Lots of large companies will start to patent that area. It builds up their own portfolio of patents, which can A, have a lot of value if they later want to license or sell those patents, and B, allows them because of these, these cross-licensing issues where Microsoft knows that Google is going to patent a lot, so therefore Microsoft needs to patent too. So therefore, it creates this environment where everybody has to patent. So the, that has happened both with blockchain but also with AI. So if you, you know, having looked at, um, like the rate at which people have, have filed patents on uh, self-driving autonomous vehicles, that that curve is, it looks exponential if you look at 2011 through now. Uh, similar areas, uh, drones, a lot of companies are patenting drone technology. Um, but, you know, so blockchain is one example out of, of other areas as well. Interesting. Well, that's cool. But it sounds like, um, you know, companies can still feel free to you know, innovate and, and work on um, work on their projects and, and really um, should should maybe in the, if you're in that area of blockchain, really look at look, look at what you have and see if um, there is something new and novel that you've created that could potentially um, be potentially patentable. Um, so that that's great. Well, I really appreciate your time. That's a, we're, we're just at about time. But before we go, I just wanted to um, uh, thank you, but also learn a little bit more about you and your company. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, Cognition and, and, and when you started it and, and give us a little bit more about, about your background? So Cognition IP is a, is a modern IP law firm for startups. I founded the, co-founded the company a, a year and a half ago. So we are a full service IP law firm and we focus on helping startups with their whole IP strategy and patenting. But we also are using a lot of technology. So we actually have a technology development team, which is half the people at the company who are building new technology to make it more operationally efficient and also developing our own AI technologies as well to, to do, to help us help the lawyers spend their time on things that are more and more legal and less operational. So we, we went through Y Combinator. We, we went through uh, a fundraising and uh, we, uh, you know, we work with like lots of startups. My personal background was as a, I'm a patent lawyer. So, I, uh, my background was computer science, both in undergrad and graduate school at 
graduate school was at Carnegie Mellon working with Louis Swanon, who later founded Duolingo. Cool. Um, and then I worked as a patent lawyer at one of the large firms in DC, working with a lot of the, the lo lot of the large, uh, large enterprises. But now I work exclusively with startups. That's great. And I, I think I mentioned this a couple of times, but um, I was I was referencing your book, which is called Software Patents for Startups, and just highly recommend that to anybody who's listening to this. It's a great primer on on how patents work and how software companies can be thinking about it. Um, so definitely recommend that everybody go and check that out. Otherwise, if people want to um, find you online or connect, what's, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me at uh, blee, B-L-E-E, -E, at cognitionip.com. And, you know, would love to chat. Great. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right.